A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome once again to the Tennis Podcast, episode six of Tennis Relived. Happy Independence Day to our American listeners. It is uh, the 4th of July. I mean, by the time a lot of you are listening to this, it will no longer be the 4th of July. So I hope you had a good one. Uh, (laughs) If you're listening to it post July the 4th, 2020, you might be listening to this a ways into the future because we're hoping that these Tennis Relived podcasts that we're we're making and and loving making will will stand the test of time. I think they're the first podcast that I don't feel touchy about uh, recommending that people go back and listen to. Anything else in our archive, uh, just just give it a swerve. But these, I hope, will uh, will stay in the vault for a long time. And today feels like a really big one because we're going to be telling the Yana Novotna story. So Hanky's at the ready. Um, I've got mine ready here. Um, David, were you queuing at the pub at 6am this morning like the the absolutely insane people of Great Britain apparently were doing? Yes, because the pubs have officially reopened. No, I wasn't, Catherine. Uh, I'm not a pub goer at 6am normally. I'm not sure anyone is normally. No, oh, and I'm not today either. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was using... Uh, uh, a hanky earlier because I was watching. Uh, I, I watched a little reel of of the Yana Novotna story in a space of two minutes, and that set me off. And then I listened to some of the audio we've got, and that set me off. And uh, yeah, it's an incredibly emotional story we're about to tell. And it, but it's also a wonderful story we're about to tell. It's just just one of the moments that is impossible to avoid when you're covering and reliving Wimbledon because uh, Jana Novotna was so important and so special to so many people. Yeah, yeah, very very well said. I mean, it's 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 a pod that um I've been sort of relishing doing and also kind of dreading doing because there's the anxiety about whether we were able to do it justice, but we're we certainly put everything into it that, that we can. We've got some great audio um, from Yana's coach, Hannah Mandlikova. She coached her throughout her career pretty much and through all three of her Wimbledon finals um, and Mary Carrillo and Chris Clary as well. So 
we're going to do our best to to bring the story to life. Matt, hairdressers also opened today. You've got a big decision to make about whether you stay committed to the rock star look or whether you revert to your previous look. Have you any thoughts? I'm a hundred percent reverting. This is this is not a look that should be staying. It's had very strong reviews, though. It has, it has, but has it? I've only yeah. sort of posted posted the best of it when I've you know when I've put product in my hair. Yeah, Matt's discovered hair mm, products during uh, it, the pandemic. It now takes me an extra two minutes in the morning to get ready when I want to look presentable. I'm quite into the product free version, which is kind of Noel Gallagher esque. <laughs> I'm, You've gone from Kevin Curran to Noel Gallagher <laughs> in the space of three days. I Matt. actually think I most look like Goran in the uh, Women of Final we watched yesterday. Folks, that is not how uh, Matt expressed it first time around on WhatsApp. <laughs> he said, uh, triumphantly sent us a message saying, Goran looks like me. <laughs> uh, yeah, which he did. I mean, I actually hate going to the barber normally because of the small talk and general awkwardness of the situation but i'm actually really looking forward to my next next trip this needs to go but i wasn't i wasn't looking forward to it enough to be there at nine o'clock this morning though i think ppe might save us all from hairdresser small talk Mm. uh for the next well for for years to come so every cloud everyone um big decision to make here i'm going to put this to both of you i don't know why i'm I'm letting you make the call but we're covering a number of years on today's podcast we'll be covering the 1993 final um won by steffi graf after jana novotna had a, a 4-1 40 15 lead in the deciding set she was five points away from winning that title uh, we'll be covering a, a little bit um, the 1997 final, the Jana Novotna's second, which she lost out to Martina Hingis. A bit less so. Um, we'll be doing a separate podcast on uh, on Martina Hingis and her becoming the youngest ever Wimbledon champion when she won the title. And we'll also be covering, of course, in great detail today, the crowning moment of Novotna's career, finally lifting that Wimbledon title in 1998, beating Natalie Tozia in the final. So, would you like to hear what happened in the world in 1993, in 1998, or both? Can I have 93 and 98, please? Do you concur, Matt? Yes. The listeners are shouting, God, no, wrong decision, <laughs> David. But you asked for it, so here goes. That was the cleanest decision making we've ever had. Yeah. Normally normally these things take a lot more time than that. Normally I'm asking the public. <laughs> <laughs> well, ninety three was a big year. It was the year that Jurassic Park was released. It was the year that Meatloaf's I'd Do Anything for Love was the best selling single. It was the year that Dominic Team, Kiki Mladenovic, Garbini Mugarutha, Sloane Stevens, Ariana Grande, Harry Kane and friend of the pod Liam Payne were born <laughs> These, that's, um, first time he's ever been described as that in public does that need explaining is he gonna sue us he was, he was on it we've got it it's on it's in the archives folks there's another one you can go back in the archives to listen to 2015 june and uh, something like that anyway and uh liam payne of one direction fellow west Bromwich albion fan was on the podcast with me andy murray and jack whitehall there you go and he broke our twitter feed it was a dark time on, on Twitter for a while after that. That was a scary moment. But I, I, I harassed him into tweeting that he was on the podcast and suddenly <laughs> his 
100 million followers or whatever he's got started tweeting us. We we were getting tagged in all of his insane marriage proposals, which was a very um, weird glimpse into a strange world. Um, it was the year that Dyson sold uh, the first bagless Hoover. Um, ben Johnson was banned from athletics for life. Buckingham Palace welcomed visitors in the summer for the first time. Um, Kim Campbell became the first female Prime Minister of Canada. And of course, in tennis terms, it was the year that Monica Seles was stabbed um, in Germany. Um, and sadly, that is one of the the things that, that people will remember about the, the tennis year in 1993. So it goes without saying that Seles was, was absent from Wimbledon that year. And and for that reason, Graf was the the very, very heavy favourite. I mean, she would likely have been anyway. She was the two-time defending champion. She'd won four Wimbledon titles overall. She was the top seed. She was expected to win that final against the number eight seed, Jana Novotna, who Bud Collins in the uh, broadcast we watched, the NBC broadcast, kept telling us was the 33 to 1 outsider according to English bookmakers prior to the tournament. I don't know whether American bookmakers had entirely different odds on Jana Novotna, but uh, the British bookies had her at 33 to 1 before the the tournament. Yeah. Actually, I don't think they they do sports betting in America, really, do they? It's certainly way more heavily regulated and sort of generally weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, he um, he really liked that line, and and uh, I remember watching the, the match and coming into the final, and and I knew a fair bit about Jan and Avotna having because this was right in the the sweet spot of my fandom of tennis, and when I'm just literally watching any tennis that exists, uh, and to hell with everything else in my life. Um, so I, I knew a lot about Jan and Avotna, but at the same time. Graf was such a heavy favourite and it felt like that too. It didn't feel beforehand like that this would be much of a final just because Graf was just dominating everybody really at that time, her having not got Selish uh, to, to contend with anymore. But the way that Novotna played that day was majestic. It was absolutely majestic. The way she moved around a tennis court, her intent and her commitment to serve and volley and slice and coming in and and there were expressions that I've heard people use that she would sort of float around the court. She had this wonderful movement and there's there's one moment in the NBC co- coverage where she leaps for a, for a volley and everybody in the commentary box goes, whoa! And then Bud Collins goes, bird woman! <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it is a great image to sum it up, the way it felt that nothing is going to get past her that day. And and she lost a very, very tight first set on a tie break, but then just took over, completely took over. She was brilliant. Graf was poor. And it was very nearly a bagel second set. Um, And she managed to get the one game. And then it just carried on in that vein throughout much of the third set until, well, we know what happened. Yeah, I think it's really important to stress how well Jana Novotna was playing that Wimbledon and and in that final because obviously the obviously the story is what happens as she as she collapses in that third set but you know in the quarterfinals she'd beaten Sabatini 6-4-6-3 despite having six consecutive losses to her beforehand in the semi-final she'd beaten Martina Navratilova despite a 0-5 head-to-head record she was playing 
the tennis of her life. She'd got into her second Grand Slam singles final. And yeah, as you said, she was she was majestic against Graf for much of that 93 final. You know, the lob she was coming up with, the touch, the sort of brush strokes, manoeuvring the ball around the court. They call her the last kind of pure, true serve volume in women's tennis. And it's so it, she's so magnificent to watch and so so good with it as well. And Graf didn't really have any answers until the final set. I didn't realise what an extraordinary athlete she was. I mean, she might not have had quite the exquisite touch that, that Martina Navratilova had, particularly perhaps on the, the forehand volley. And certainly that was... That was what came to let her down in in the in the big moments, but her her athleticism was was Novatilova esque, potentially even Novatilova plus. It was it was extraordinary to see that combination of of strength and grace in terms of her her movement and and her net coverage because Steffi Graf was good at threading a passing shot I mean she was she, she was doing an incredible shot a job of every now and then just sneaking in a, a topspin backhand passing shot or certainly a flat backhand passing shot and threading them down the line and and scooping her forehand returns cross court dipping to the feet of, of Jana Novotna and and she she just seemed to be everywhere Novotna her and so good at getting low to the ball, her the strength in her her legs and her quads was was extraordinary. Yeah, she and she would that that was the, the what really struck me was how low she was to the to the ground, and and that was seemed to be back then, particularly on those sort of grass courts, key to to having success. And when she established that lead, I mean, afterwards, Steffi Graf is saying. I thought I was going to lose. I, I I was basically accepting defeat really in my mind because I'm getting she's getting outplayed. There's there's nothing she she's got no answer to the, the tennis that's coming to to her. And then things changed and you saw that moment and it was hard to see. Who can bear to describe it to us? Is this the moment where we have to talk about it? <laughs> yeah. It is. We, we've we've put it off long enough. I mean, the I think Obviously, I, I saw it live. I saw this match live, and you. I'm trying to remember when when I started to get nervous on her behalf at the time. The the serve that went three meters out. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, I think, and I think what happens, and 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 it actually, the same feeling comes over you when you're rewatching, re- reliving it as we just have this morning, is that she hits that one, and even back then, I remember looking at her face. And just thinking, uh oh, you know, and 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 you could sense that in the commentary box. And what really got me today rewatching it is how quickly it all happened from there. Mm. It just, we're in a flash. She's suddenly four five down and on the brink of defeat. And she's she's four one. What were the scorelines? She's four one. She's four one forty thirty when she hits the double fault, and yeah. that that. That is the kind of symbol, I think, of this collapse. That's the point that's always replayed. That's the one I've seen. And she loses three points in a row, doesn't she? Yeah, it it actually gets worse than that. (laughs) It actually gets worse. The next two points, she misses a forehand volley again. It hits hits the back before it hits the court. And then she misses a smash into the bottom of the net and then gets... And then that's the... That's her getting broken for 4-2. She then gets 
1540 on graph serve. So you're kind of thinking, okay, she's taken a breath, she's recovered a little bit, but then graph plays a good game to hold to get to 4-3. And then it's that game again where it's such a tough watch because she double faults twice in a row, I think, Novotna, to hand the game to graph to get it back on on, on level terms for all. And then I think Novotna only wins one more point in the whole match. As you said, it just happened so quickly. There's no, there's no time to, to sort of stem the tide. It just, um, it just get, runs away from her. In an absolutely masterful moment of understatement, when, when, when Bud Collins asks Novotna in her NBC post-match interview, where it all, all went wrong, Novotna said, well, that, that double fault I hit at four one forty thirty that that was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, um, and actually, uh, that little succession of errors there is when you you feel this is this is she's in real trouble here. And even though she has that little spurt, I, I remember watching at the time. You, you, you're kind of hoping for the best for her, but you're not expecting it to go right because. When you start missing by that degree, you know that the, the. I've heard Andy Roddick talk about how you're suddenly gripping the racket too tightly, and 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 it doesn't. It no longer feels part of your arm the way throughout the entire match to that point the racket had just been an extension of the arm. Suddenly she's holding something that that isn't her racket. It's it's just like a rock, um, and yeah, it it was it was tough to see, and then incredibly emotional afterwards when she she's involved in that um, trophy presentation with the Duchess of Kent. Yeah, one of the most iconic moments in Wimbledon history. You'd probably you'd probably have to say thank goodness by that point the the runners up were receiving their 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 trophy, the silver salver before the the winner. Um and Jana Novotna is uh, is called up by by the Duchess of Kent as was customary. And um, it's so relatable and classic, isn't it? When you're right on the edge emotionally, the absolute last thing you need is someone being nice to you. I mean, it's also the thing you need the most, but um, it just sends you sends you right over the edge. And you could you could see her falling over that that precipice. The lip goes. She she tries to bury her face in in her hands, and then she buries her face in the shoulder of of the Duchess of Kent, um, and it is it's it's the picture that was on in all the papers the next day. It it is still one of the most iconic images that tennis has ever produced. That that moment is is where you had households that maybe two people were watching the match and two people were doing something else, and the two watching the match shout to the other two you've got to come in and see what's going on here this has never happened before and seeing an interview with um the duchess last night several years later she she said well it's the most normal thing in the world isn't it if you see somebody upset you you give them a hug and that's what she did and it was just so relatable i think to everybody who was watching and it and it it remains the iconic moments of Jana Novotna's career as much as winning the title, I think. And what strikes me when I watch that moment is how public it is and how exposed she is. You know, by all accounts, she was quite a private person, Jana Novotna. Okay, she was she was open about being quite vulnerable, but 
a lot of the time she was private and kept herself to herself. Well, this was suddenly she was so exposed, so bare. And in the kind of kind of cutthroat world of sport, you could imagine her other other opponents thinking, oh, this is this is an edge now we've got over Jana Novotna. There was absolutely no hiding there. And I think I was really I was really pleased actually to read some quotes that Novotna had on that moment a few years later where she had this sense of perspective on it where she said you know it was it was a beautiful moment for everyone really and I think actually it's good to show your emotions it can lift you up is what she said and which is an extraordinary extraordinarily healthy kind of capacity for that self-expression and self-reflection and obviously it has turned into this iconic moment and I think she I think she was at peace with it as a moment as opposed to it sort of haunting her in a way which it could easily have done and and uh, I, th- I think both parties sort of later revealed what was said in, in that exchange between uh, Jana Novotna and the Duchess of Kent and you know it was it was along the lines of don't worry you will come back and you will win this you're too good you're too good and particularly too good a grass court player not to and that was that that was I think the the feeling of 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 everybody else at the time. I mean, watching the match, she looked too good a grass court player not to win Wimbledon. Um, and we're going to hear from her coach for the first time now, Hannah Mandakova. Wonderful, um, fascinating interview I, I got the chance to do with her a few weeks ago. Somebody that we, we don't really hear very much from um, in the tennis world. So it was a great, great pleasure to be able to speak to her. Um, and she starts off by talking um, about Novotna's journey to becoming a grass court player and, and the convincing that it took to, to make her believe that she could be at home on grass. I tried to convince her of it because, you know, uh, she she always saw that she's a better clay court player than a grass court player. And I said, Jana, it's it's absolutely nonsense. You you should be on the finals of Wimbledon or at least semi-finals all the time because nobody plays your game anymore. You, serve, you can serve in volley. Your slice is very, very good. Your chip and charge is good. So I kind of try to put it in her head that she started believing that she can do so well on grass. And that's how it happened, you know. Um, she lost to Graf when she was up set and 4-1, 40-15. And uh, she kind of couldn't handle that situation, which she was never in before, uh, serving, you know, being up so far, like so so much and then losing and I think that picture of Duchess of Kent when she was crying on the shoulder made her more popular than anything else in in her career. Do you remember what Jana was was like after that match? Very disappointed uh, but you know she was crying in the dress, uh, dressing room very down um, but Jana had an exceptional uh, you see every champion has something special what the other doesn't and I can tell you a good story where she was up against um, Chanda Rubin in the French Open on the centre court. She was up set, five laugh, 40 laugh, and she lost the match. And that was two weeks before Wimbledon. She came off the court and in two days she totally recovered from that match. So she went back on the court and started working very hard. So her exception was that she was a she was unbelievable fighter. And unbelievable, she forgot what happened in the past. But it's very difficult for other players to do that. That's why she recovered from all the losses she should have won very fast by working very hard. So interesting, isn't it? Because you, you've got the balance of 
it, it, it becomes it becomes a vicious circle with I, I know I know Novotna herself never perhaps embraced the C word, the actual word choke, but she's she certainly owned her 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 losing from from winning positions, those those situations. Not just the, the Wimbledon one, but that other famous one that Hannah Mandakova referenced there, losing to Chanda Rubin at at the French Open. The the vicious circle of the more it happens, the more you think it's going to happen and therefore the more it happens. Um because the fear of it happening is is almost the nail in the coffin, isn't it? And that scar tissue, we've talked about it with with so many current players, that scar tissue it, it builds up before you even before you even realise it and and it's not just the fact of it, it's also the perception of it, as as you've sort of alluded yeah. to, Matt, the fact that other every player in the locker room will have seen that nineteen ninety three match, will have seen her just just crumble when when it mattered most and that chips away at your your aura. Mm. I mean I, I saw that Chanda Rubin match and because I already had I'd known she'd lost matches against Sabatini from match point up and I'd seen this this graph final you, you you're ready for it. The moment she starts to lose a couple of points, words start. You start to hear murmurs in the crowd. You start to hear commentators talking about it, and so obviously doesn't necessarily mean that she's aware of what people are saying, but what must be going on in her mind. So it it does, as you say, it becomes a vicious circle. Mary Grillo, like like everybody, um, I think absolutely loved Jan and Avotna's game, but. Um... Here she is talking about it, but also reflecting on on what a what a tough watch. And I'm sure you can tell from the tone of our voices that we found it a tough watch this morning. What a tough watch the latter stages of that 1993 final were. Boy, she had a, a good game, didn't she? She had it, but again, it, like you could tell when Yana was getting tight. She, I mean, she had that thing dead to rights and. When you watch Yana struggling so much with her serve, with her shot, like everything was flying off her racket. Um, the promised land was right there and she couldn't make it. It's, it's like watching someone having to dance at their own funeral. You know, it's just like, oh God, don't like, unfortunately, well, the great part of tennis is that there's no substitutions. There's no, the clock doesn't run down. You can't hold the lead and skate to the finish line. You know, you just got to finish it off. Um, I think even Groff, I, I've never asked Steffi about this, um, but I'll, I'll bet even Groff will allow that it was a sad win. You know, it was a tragic loss for Yana, but I think it was almost a sad win too, because Groff didn't beat Yana at the end. Groff just stood around while Yana beat herself. Oi. Um, yeah, you can't park the bus in tennis, can you? You can't nick a 1-0 lead and then uh, throw 10 men behind the ball. Um, and, and to be fair, Jana Novotna absolutely did not do that. She had one way of playing and that was to be gutsy and aggressive. And, and she didn't she didn't err from that. It was just It was just the execution that completely deserted her. Yeah, P.S. Ultimate Tennis Showdown. You cannot run down the clock in tennis. Um, <laughs> But, and I think Martina Navratilova has said that uh, Jana Novotna didn't lose to Steffi Graf. She lost to the Wimbledon final, which is an incredible quote just to just to sort of showcase how, how much the moment 
kind of defeated Novotna in that final. And I think there's an also an interesting conversation to be had about how, you know, we've talked about Novotna being an intelligent, smart tennis player. I know we've talked before on the podcast as well about choking being linked to intelligence and the kind of, you know, tight moments in sports call for instinct and simplicity. And I think it it seems like Novotna's jammed, like her... Her processes are jammed by the thinking and the complexity. And I don't know whether you've ever read um, David Foster Wallace's um, sort of savage takedown of Tracy Austin's autobiography, where he he makes the point that that should have been a great story for Tracy Austin because she was so young, she was she won the US Open, there was a lot to unpack. She should have had a lot of interesting things to say. And Tracy Austin wrote that, I won the US Open and I was thrilled. And <laughs> and his point is, you know, we've all done those interviews with players where they give a sort of stupefyingly empty answer. What was going through your mind? Oh, I was just focusing on the moment. And And the point David Foster Wallace makes is maybe that is the answer. Maybe they do have that kind of empty mind. And that's the key to not choking, to not thinking about things. It's It's... Maybe that's the essence of kind of succeeding in sport to blank everything else out, you know, cliche alert, tunnel vision. But what makes Novotna so special is that she doesn't seem to quite be able to do that. And it's such a human, such a human reaction and also just just a testament to the way she played the game, I think. My figure skating coach once said to me, you'd be a really good skater if you could turn your head off. (laughs) Which you know, at a really, at a really, really low level, really low, <laughs> uh, is is the same principle, isn't it? She said, "I can, I can see the thoughts going through your mind as you set up for a jump." She said, "I can see you picturing yourself falling. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it going through your mind." And I, I, I totally get that. I know it is the enemy of. Uh, of tennis journalists and interviewers ev- everywhere, that line about staying present, focusing on the moment. I mean, my heart just sinks when that rhetoric comes out. <laughs> but I know why they, t- and I know they mean it. I know it's something that I, as a mere mortal, that spends my whole life with my brain running a million times an hour, having completely unproductive, unhelpful thoughts, um, can't relate to. But, you know, that's why they're not, mortals that's why they're multi grand slam champions because they are able to to stay present stay in the moment as much as that sounds gobbledygook to me to to you know to the likes of I always think Nadal is a is a great example of that it's just hit tennis ball isn't it see tennis ball hit tennis ball and I'm not saying he doesn't have tactics or thoughts but I don't you know he's not thinking about the past or the present or the consequences he's thinking about that point and that moment um and i'm not sure i've ever experienced that that's why i never choke you see because <laughs> i'm thick <laughs> um let's hear from chris clary uh for the first time we're gonna we're gonna be hearing from all these people again because this is only one chapter in the story but Jana novotna was somebody that that he very luckily had the chance to get to know very well well yana i Got a chance to interview her a number of times for magazine stories and for so I got a chance to really um, get a good a good sense of the person and 
what a intelligent, you know, sensitive person she was. So I think that was the challenge for her was to sort of calm the mind and quiet all the thoughts that were going on in there and, and let the game speak. And so it's, it's a great story because there are plenty of situations where you, you falter, you don't come back and get another shot at it. And she finally got the, the breakthrough that she wanted a bit like Goron finally being able to break through and, and get what he richly deserved. But I think, but I think for for Yana, uh, the thing that was interesting too is that she was able to articulate all that very well. You know, she didn't wasn't all bottled up. She was able to really express when you got her away from the tournament where things might be happening, where it was all too much. She was incredibly in touch with her emotions and her and a, her sense of vulnerability on the court. <laughs> I remember talking to her once about. I remember using the word choking, and she goes, "Oh, that's such a dirty word," <laughs> but. You know what? It's okay, because I can actually see how it could apply in this case. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Did you? She did some work for BBC Radio, didn't she, uh... David, some commentary. Did you ever have the chance to work with her? I did, yes. Uh, I commentated alongside Yana a couple of times, and um, I, I was, I felt quite, quite in awe of her. Really, she had this, this quiet, serene composure as she would sit there watching the match, and her eyes would never leave the court. She was sitting right alongside me in the commentary box, and she would, you know, a lot of a lot of commentators you would turn to one another to have conversation about what you're watching. And she wasn't being rude. She was just in love with what she was watching. She was totally wrapped up in it. And um, and her analysis was was just fascinating. I loved kind of 
depends on who you're commentating with. Some people, you would want to engage them on a subject, on a talking point. With her, you'd almost just want to describe, leave it, and let her fill in the gap because she was going to tell you something about the sport, about the the actual tennis points that I can't see as somebody who doesn't play the game. And it, and it was just riveting, really, to listen to it. One of my favourite quotes of hers, Matt, that you um, dug up in the research was post-retirement, she was asked, you know, whether she had taken a complete break from tennis, as so many of them do, whether she was still playing, still watching. And she said, oh, gosh, yeah, I don't... I haven't gone a day without tennis and I can't imagine going a day without tennis. She just was completely in love with the sport and that's that's infectious, isn't it? That's um yeah, it 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 sings through the screen when you're watching her even in her in her darkest moments and of course there was another one to come in in 1997 not as dark as is 19 19- 93 and and I mean she was a set up in the 1997 final against Martina Hingis but I'm not sure even despite that many people see it as necessarily one that one that got away I mean Martina Hingis was a Wimbledon champion that day she was she was brilliant and she she absorbed the story because it was such a brilliant story one we're going to do a, a pod on in in itself you know her becoming the youngest ever Wimbledon champion, still the youngest ever Wimbledon champion, 16 years of age. And it kind of deflected a bit from the continuation of, of the Jana Novotna story, didn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, separately, Hannah Manukova said to you that um, that Jana had pulled a stomach muscle, I think, uh, ahead of that final against Martina Hingis. So although she was playing really, really well, physically she wasn't, what she was in 93 and 98 on that particular day. And I think especially as, you know, stomach injury for Novotna with her game, as we've been talking about that serve coming into the net afterwards, you know, all it's all putting pressure on that on that area of the body. And she, if she was anyway compromised, it sounds like she was from the in the second and third set against Hingis. And then Hingis just, as you said, kind of um, took over. I think there was a I'm not going to go too much into depth into the match because, as you said, we'll be doing that tomorrow. But just from a Novotna standpoint, apparently she did um, she did jokingly sort of grab the trophy at the end of that match and do a kind of <laughs> do a kind of mock uh, mock lifting of the title and um, and some incredible sort of rare diplomatic quotes from Hingis afterwards saying that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm not interested in diplomatic Hingis, Matt. That's not what we're here for. Well, I'm only interested because it's Hingis. Just you know, <laughs> just saying that Jana deserved that title, and um, you know, as much as she was a Wimbledon champion in waiting, Hingis, so too was, so too was Novotna. And once again, the 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 Duchess of Kent was there to give Novotna her silver salver, and and it's understood that what she said to her was, "It'll be third time lucky." Um, and look, we've seen plenty of and heard plenty of lines like that in in commentary and in punditry over the course of the last few weeks that have turned out not to be very true and have taken on a real uh, air of tragedy and, and pathos. But thankfully, and apologies to, to Natalie Tozier and, and Natalie Tozier fans out there, but thankfully, mercifully, it was third time lucky in in 1998, it was uh, French woman Natalie Tozier that that Jana Novotna met in the final. And though she 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 fought valiantly in that second set, did De, Tozier took it to the tiebreak. It was relatively 
smooth sailing, wasn't it? And and thank goodness for that, <laughs> that she didn't have to get into to too much of a squeaky bum time position because who knows what might have happened. Yeah, and, and if you look at the the time span between the 93 final and the 98 one, as well as the 97 loss to Hingis, who was the dominant player that year, one of the greats in terms of talent, she'd also had two defeats, two separate defeats to Graf in at Wimbledon, one of them a semi-final from a set up, uh, and the second one was a straightforward win for Graf. So, you know, she was running into the best, at, at every stage that uh, although yes she she kind of lost it has lost her own opportunity in 93 she was at least running into the best in 98 suddenly she's playing somebody that is not going to be classified as the best she was the favorite she was absolutely the favorite for the title that day and that puts a completely different complexion on the match doesn't it that was that was the first time she'd been the favorite for a, for a final certainly the heavy favorite um and that was something that that Hannah Mandlikova uh, reflected on as well during uh, during my interview with her and I asked what the crucial difference was between Jana Novotna of of 1993 and and the one that finally lifted the title in in 1998 she had to start believing herself in the crucial moments you know, you can believe your coach uh, when we're training and everything, but then when you step on the court, the, all the decisions and everything is up to you. And she had to learn to, you know, bite the bullet. And uh, she did it finally in, uh, in 1998, where, uh, you know, it was actually more pressure on her playing Tauziat, who beat uh, Davenport in the semifinals, uh, because she's supposed to, on paper, win like 100%. So can you imagine, she knew this is going to be her last chance in her career. So the pressure was even bigger and greater than the two before. So I think, you know, she handled it awesome. And, and she won finally Wimbledon. I was so happy for her. And in a way, you know, Wimbledon was always my favorite tournament. I was only twice in the finals, never won it. It was my dream. Didn't happen, but Ruiana kind of, I fulfilled my dream a little bit. Did you start to doubt that, that she would fulfill that yours and her dream of winning Wimbledon. Winning Wimbledon. Um, now I can be a little bit honest, <laughs> more honest than before. I felt like that final second, Steffi, she really should have win, and there was her chance. So there was a real chance, and I, of course, I I hope that she's gonna have another chance. But you know, you you still train hard and everything, but. Um, I was a little bit doubting it that she will have another chance, but she did. So, going into that Wimbledon in 1998, how was she kind of emotionally and psychologically? Was she scarred by those big losses in the past, or did she did she really believe? Yeah, no. I mean, she she felt the night before we we look at uh, Natalie's Stosia tapes and. We spent two hours of talking about it, about the whole situation, what, what can happen on the court. And, you know, she knew uh, this is her last time. She knew it. She told me, I know this is my last time. I'm, you know, I'm going to do utmost I can to win. But uh, you never know what can happen. So she knew it was her last chance. Well, how much do you remember of, of the match itself against Tozia? What I remember, she, the first set she won pretty easy. Uh, the third, second set, they were holding serves. And then Jana played an exceptionally good tie break. 
I was I was more nervous that that match than any other match watching Yana because I know I knew how much she wanted to win it and how many chances she she had in the past to do it. So I really I was so relieved. You have no idea. Was it more relief than joy? Uh, it was both. It was for Yana it was disbelief that she finally did it. For me, you know, I remember all those endless hours on the court we spent and or me convincing her that she can do it and you know she can be a top three player or four whatever you know because she she doubted her all the herself all the time in the past and for me as I said you know it was a big thing as well I never won Wimbledon so for me as I said was like I was a little bit part of it you know it meant a lot to me you know because I know how much she wanted it. Can you remember what the celebrations were like that night? Yes, I do. <laughs> I remember, like, uh, you know, I don't know what time it finished, but she had no dress, so they borrow, borrowing dresses there. So we quickly had to get dressed for the ball and um, to, the, to the early hours in the morning celebrating. She'd had so many years to dream about what it would feel like to be a Wimbledon champion. Do you think it, it lived up to everything she, she hoped it would be? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Wimbledon, not only in my mind, but I think in every player's mind, is the epic of of everything. You don't find a Grand Slam like that anywhere else. Anyone missing Wimbledon? Oh, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's. I mean, it's a it's a tough listen that in 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 a number of ways, but it's a it's a wonderful listen as well isn't it and it's an indication of tennis being able to tell human stories because that you know Jana Novotna's story is such a such a triumph of of the human spirit really it's kind of inspirational you know there is joy and redemption to be found you're gonna you're gonna have to walk through a lot of darkness and dark places to get there but if you can if you can get through it there's light and um, just the way she was able to have her moment of joy at, you know, finally at Wimbledon, you know, because people, as we said, people associated Novotna with not doing it. And finally she was able to do it. And I think, you know, I think the 93 Wimbledon final will often get remarked upon as the more famous Novotna one, but this one, this one is the completion of the story. And, um, and to think that, Mandlakova kind of went through it with her as well is um, is, mm. is really an, an added special element to it. Well, I can't understate at the time watching it the universal reaction of happiness and celebration of just people who only switched on tennis once a year for Wimbledon, but they all knew Jana Novotna because they'd all seen her in the same position five years earlier. And it's, it, I mean, I, I do feel a bit sorry for Natalie Tausier I, I, I hope she doesn't know too much about it. She seemed okay in the interview we saw in afterwards. Um, but, you know, I just I just felt the whole country that I was living in anyway, and I didn't work in tennis yet, everybody was just chuffed for Jana Novotna. Well, Tozia gave that amazing line to Bud Collins afterwards. She said, well, I, I think at the end there, Jana wanted it more than me. And look, I know still waters run deep and everything, but she didn't seem as devastated as some Grand Slam 
final losers might be. And and I, I'd like to think that part of that was maybe because, you know, she could she could at least share in a little bit of the joy of, of seeing somebody as as deserving as Jana Novotna lifting the title, even if it was at her expense. I think she's quite an interesting player in her own right, Tozier, actually. She um she wrote a book while she was on tour about the kind of under underside of the tennis world. It's in French, but um, apparently that is quite interesting. And I believe she was heavily involved in Bianca Andreescu's career. She she coached her through the junior ranks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she's a side story inevitably here, but I think she's quite interesting in her own right. But there's something else that Novotna changed for this Wimbledon final which was inviting her mother for the first time. Her, her mother had never seen her play a Grand Slam match because Novotna was superstitious, I think it sounds like, and she didn't want to change her routine. But third time lucky, she thought, OK, something something needs to change here. Let's invite my mum. And she, and she flew over from the Czech Republic on the Friday night, I believe, and was then there in the box when... Novotna wins and climbs into the box and she and she first goes over to Manlikova, gives her a great big hug and then and then goes straight for for her mother as well really touching touching scenes sorry <laughs> yeah it re- yeah it really got to me the embrace with her her mum's the spitting image of her or the, the other way around I suppose um oh yeah it's it's quite a moment and it was a moment that that of course was made made all the sweeter um because of what what had gone before what she had been through in order to get there and and that's something that um that Mary Carrillo reflected on it's not that hard to get a reputation <laughs> in anything <laughs> trying to kick it loose is much much tougher and and uh i think that is what when you and again i think frankly that that Nirvana didn't have to go through a top player to take her major title to take Wimbledon. It had to have helped. And normally, you know, you think, ah, Nirvana in a major final, I'm, I'm assuming the other guy is going to win, the other player. But in that case, I think all of us thought, yeah, okay, Yana, no matter what you've suffered, no matter what kind of luggage you're, you've got, you're taking on the court, you've got this. You've got this. Um, she was a lovely person too, and and she knew her. She was really candid. She was very frank about about her struggles, which I always found so um, endearing. You know, she didn't try to say I didn't choke. I I it, I don't know if you're the same way about this, Catherine. But when I hear Serena say I never choke, <laughs> you know, like when she did uh, in the semis at the U.S. Open. You know, when she was trying to win the calendar Grand Slam, uh, there, you know, I never choke. Look, everybody chokes. I, I, I just wish Serena would, because my, one of my favorite parts about Serena Williams is that she chokes and then she wins anyway. She figures out a way to, all right, I'm, I, you know, what, what can I do here to restabilize? That to me is a greater strength than saying I don't choke. That she has time and again come back. It, to me, that's, that's like one of the great things to watch. So for Serena to say, no, I never choke. No, yeah, sure you do. That's cool. I mean, it, it, to me, give me a, give me a choker over a tanker any day of the week. Choking means you care. You know, that's what it was about with Novotna. That's what it was about with Gabby. That was about anybody. You know, it's about McEnroe against Lendl. He choked because he cared. 
why, why, why deny that about yourself? That I mean, I don't believe in fate or mystical anything. I'm a very rational, scientific, boring kind of person. But that that '98 victory for for Novotna, I mean, if anything was gonna convince me or turn me, it would be it would be a moment like that, a day like that. It it did feel like the universe wanted Jana Novotna to have a Wimbledon. I I I think you're right. I think, and it was everybody and everybody who was watching Wimbledon that day in this, everybody knew what it was all about, right? I mean, we all knew what she was trying to get over. Putting yourself out there, putting yourself out there is, to me, that, that just counts for so much, you know? And I think you can only, you can only uh, be truly accomplished at something you love and clearly Novana had worked her whole life trying to get to that moment because she loved it and, and that she finally won. And same with Halep, same with anybody who finally comes good at anything. You know, you knew what it take for them to get. So you knew that they had to just keep trying. You know, what's better than that? Anyone want to try and follow up those words from, <laughs> from Mary Grillo? I mean, there's just so much in there that so perfectly expresses so many things. I think it's perfect perspective on this idea of choking as well, because, you know, when you see someone choke occasionally, you can almost find it funny in a way. And I don't mean to, to make that sound cruel, but, you know, we were laughing yesterday about Andre Gagassi. You know, there's a there is a sense that it can be almost almost comical, but at the same time. It is. It is because you care, and it's and there's and Mary's completely right. Putting yourself on that line is is to be admired, and it's it's such a shame, really, that someone who chokes in the final will get more flack than someone who loses a comfortable match in round one. You know, it's it's to do with the spotlight and you know the intensity of that moment. But the fact is, you're getting to the final. Okay, you might not be able to get quite over the line but at least you've got there and you know I think it's kind of a bit of a lesson really that we that we shouldn't joke about that kind of thing well I think we all perhaps feel entitled to to joke about it because it's relatable for us because Mm. it's it those are the sort of mistakes that we as as mere mortals make and there's a um amazing paragraph that you dug up Matt from from the LA Times uh, at the time uh, in 1998 Lisa Dillman of the LA Times said this win was for everyone who lost the tennis match they should have won this was for two women who shaped her game and psyche Hannah Mandlikova and Betty Stove two players who came within a match of winning Wimbledon themselves this was for the Duchess of Kent who supplied comfort and reassurance, predicting Jana Novotna would win Wimbledon on her third attempt in the final. And the Royals are never wrong, right? But most of all, it was for Novotna. And obviously it's it's desperately, desperately sad that, that Jana Novotna isn't with us now. Um, she passed away in 2017 um, with ovarian cancer. And it is, it's, it's just desperately sad, but... Thank goodness she had 20 years to enjoy being a Wimbledon champion. Yeah, 
Uh, that's the only thing that you can comfort yourself with, really. I, I, I think, um, because I mean, what was she? Forty nine years of age. Um, it doesn't seem right. Uh, and yeah, it, it also it's it's just astonishing to me that that's three years ago. It feels like a few months ago that I that I heard that news, and it it stopped everybody in their tracks because, as you said, she was a private person. It wasn't something that got lots and lots of coverage, um, and desperately sad. She she was incredibly private about her illness. She didn't even disclose it to to some of those closest to her, and that actually includes. Hannah Mandakova, who was a long-time coach as well as friend, and and it was a huge shock, clearly, to, to Hannah. Just tell you the truth, uh, when that happened, um, I just couldn't believe it. I got a phone call for, from Helena Sukova in the, early in the morning, and she told me the, the bad news, and I just was like lying in bed thinking, this is not real, this is not happening, this is... I, I just talked to her on her birthday, what's going on? She told me she's doing fine. So it was total shock. Uh, total shock for everybody, for me, for the whole world. And I want her to be remembered as the biggest fighter that there is. For a nice, very nice person, happy person. And um, she should be very proud of her proud of her career. And she's, yeah, she's left quite a legacy to the sport. I mean... Absolutely, absolutely. Her connection with with Wimbledon in this country is so strong. I think most people here would would see that photo of her from the the ceremony in '93 and recognise it instantly. And of something something so powerful about her her story. I think. And you I see hope- that's but that's how she is. You know that she's she was very open. She didn't hide anything. You know, if she felt like she felt like like for example for me. Uh, I was much more in, inside person. I, if something like that would happen to me, I would not show my emotions. She was showing her emotions because that's the person she she was. And uh, she felt like crying. And it was, it's just she was very emotional player and a very emotional person of the court as well. I'm so grateful um, to Hannah Mandakova for for giving us her time and and giving us the opportunity to to hear her pay tribute to her because you know I I, I didn't know Jana Novotna and and, and I, I wish I did I'm 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 so pleased David that you got the chance to work with her but to to hear that tribute from somebody that that knew her best is really really special and I, I just want to finish on on some words from from Chris, Chris Clary one last time from from the New York Times um on a on her loss and and how hard it it hit the whole of the tennis world. So sad that Yana died so young, um, but I think, given that tragic fact, um, the fact that she was able to think of herself, rightly so, as a Wimbledon singles champion for all those years that she did have after her career ended, and there weren't enough of them. But I imagine how much meaning that brought her on a daily basis, David. You know, and that's something that you. I guess I guess I'm more aware of that now as I get older and I look at these things that happen to players and I was definitely aware of it with when Goran and Wimbledon that he can always say, you know, I'm a Wimbledon champion. And I, I think being able to say that changes the arc of your life uh, in retirement all the way through and you go to these commemoration ceremonies and they always bring the old tennis players back. You know, you see it again and again. 
And to have not be able to say you're a Grand Slam champion at this stage was, would be tough. You're with all your peers. And so it has, it has, it has a lot of resonance and meaning for a long time. So the, it's, there's the joy of the moment and the release of the moment and the moment earned. But then there's the way it, it kind of keeps paying dividends throughout your life. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, and yeah, a, 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 a small positive um, chink of light in, you know, what's a, a, a sad ending to, to the story. She's the only open era women's singles champion that, that we've lost, amazingly. Um, and she'll never be forgotten, will she? I mean, obviously, as a Wimbledon champion, she'll never be forgotten. But that image of her crying on the Duchess of Kent's shoulder will never, ever be forgotten. No, she is one of those champions that touched everybody, meant something to everybody who watched her her journey. And I also think for future generations, I think I think I could show those images to my my eight and ten year old kids, and they would be they would understand what was going on. They would understand those moments of desperately wanting something so much and coming up short but then getting over the line eventually and I think that there there is a great lesson in there and I think Mary Mary summed that up so well in what she said about how you've just got to keep putting yourself out there you've got to keep giving yourself that chance and exposing yourself to the possibility of disappointment once again because that's ultimately the only way you're going to get there if it means enough to you you'll keep trying um, and and Yana Devon and look, it may it doesn't happen for everybody, but she kept trying and she she got over the line. Um, and it's uh, it's it is a beautiful story, and it's it's it is a very hard thing to accept that she's no longer here uh, at such a young age. But um, but still, what a story! One of the great stories of Wimbledon history. Yeah, it's not the time in your life; it's the life in your time, as they say, and. Uh... Jana Novotna truly lived, you know, uh, desperately sad that it was cut so short. But, you know, in, in the years she had, her story will will resonate forever, really. A lesson in there, perhaps, for, for Stefanos Tsitsipas and Irina Sabalenka, who were both born in 1998. I realise that I've, I forgot to tell you what else happened in 1998. <laughs> so that's me shoehorning that in. Those two were born and the... Monica Lewinsky scandal happened. So there we go. <laughs> and, and what's Hannah Mandlikova doing now? Ah, oh, Hannah Mandlikova um, is coaching her kids. Um, I meant to look up what ages they are because she, they were, towards the end of the interview, there were, there were the sounds of thwacking tennis balls behind her. And I, I just said, oh, you, you know, you, have you ever considered coaching again? Um, you know, because she's she's been away from the sport as, as far as I know. Um, she said, "I I am. I'm coaching my blooming kids, um, and I think uh, they might both be junior players." She's based in the states now, Hannah Mandlikova. I think they might both be junior players over there. Well, one of them's in college uh, in Oklahoma College um, as a as a player on a scholarship, I believe. But uh, and the other one has gone into the pros, and she said is around 500 in the world. But uh, yeah, she. She she actually said to you, I was listening to it this morning, she said, yeah, I'm back on the road. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> they always say never again, don't they? And 
I remember asking Goran once about what once his uh, his probably then four year old son Emmanuel was was brandishing a, a tennis racket with worrying skill, and Goran was there shaking his head, saying, "I didn't teach him that." Um, and I said, "You're going to be back on tour with him, Goran," and his face just crumpled in a in a heap. But then, you know, Goran seems to be looking for reasons to be back on tour at any opportunity. That was the Anna Novotna story. It was a wonderful pleasure to tell it. Obviously, some some very harrowing aspects of it, but um, we'll never forget what she achieved at Wimbledon. Um, and it's been a privilege to be able to tell that story on the tennis podcast. We'll be sort of retelling a little bit of it tomorrow won't we because tomorrow is we're still in the 90s david chill out phew uh tomorrow is matt is martina hingis winning in 1997 and just generally having one of the one of the great tennis seasons really that um might be underrated i think um i don't i certainly don't think it's talked about as as much as it should be considering how great it was and how young she was. So yeah, 1997 is our destination tomorrow. We love setting people straight on, on underrated uh, tennis achievements, don't we? So she's our middle Sunday bonus. She's our middle Sunday bonus ball. Lucky you, Martina. I mean, to be fair, the weather has been so bad in this week. <laughs> we probably would have been doing, a, you know, we probably would have been play on middle Sunday at Wimbledon this year. It has made missing Wimbledon slightly easier to take, hasn't it? The fact that it's been miserable outside. We wouldn't all have been sitting up on the roof with beers and strawberries and cream soaking up the sunshine would we just without them yeah we'd still be up there <laughs> yeah just yeah so that's for tomorrow we're staying in the 90s 1997 um we hope you're enjoying them we're loving them thank you to gerald as always for being a rock star generally and for being our mascot Thanks to, to Matt and David, to Andrew, who's helping with the research, and to uh, Sarah as well, who is providing me with the weird and wonderful nuggets uh, about what happened when, which uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that I'm enjoying those. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.